Well, we've been uh, uh, taking a look at the ministry of the early church, the beginning of the church as Jesus ascended to heaven. He gave the command to uh, his followers to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, teaching them the principles that Jesus taught, and may it go on and on and on. May there be a continuum of, of quality building and teaching and development in, in the lives of the believers in the cause of Christ. Now, it wasn't easy. Pastor Scott has been taking us uh, through the book of Acts thus far, and it wasn't easy for those people because it was a paradigm shift. And, and, and you know, when, when there's a paradigm shift, there's going to be some pushback, at least from some people. But there were a group of people, and I like to call them the little people, I like to call them, no, they're not three feet tall and under. They are those uncomplicated people that want to know and love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. They are those uncomplicated people that want to fill their life with the goodness of Christ and, and not get caught up in all the politics and trappings of a whole lot of stuff. Well, we still have the people who, who, who wanted to be involved in that, called the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sanhedrin and the, the leaders of the temple, they were certainly ones that got caught up in all of that sort of thing, and there was great pushback. But there were those that had miraculous things happen in their lives. There was those that, that, that saw a lame man healed, and he rose up jumping and hollering and making a big fuss, and, and you know, it made, it made, Global was right there, you know, it was hot item on the news. Uh, sorry, no, I guess Global wasn't there. But uh, whoever the news media were of the day certainly were there. Well, I want to take us on into the next segment. It's a short passage of Scripture this morning. In my Bible, it's entitled, Continuing Power in the Church. And I invite you to stand with me as we read God's Word. And uh, it's Acts chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 12 through 16. Acts chapter 5, 12 through 16. We've seen some interesting things. We've seen the apostles and those around them praying for boldness. We've seen them sharing in their resources. We've seen lying to the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and now we move on to this passage. So beginning at verse 12, I'm reading from the New King James Version. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits and they were all healed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Father, that we have truth in your word. And we have this, this account, this narrative of the building of the church. And we pray that it would quicken our hearts, that it would encourage us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Well, persecution is something really that I would say that the majority of us know nothing about, unless you came from a, a part of the world where persecution was, was common, 
I don't think that we really know much about it at all. Much, much devastation happens. Along with persecution comes devastation, comes wars, comes ruining of property, and, and so on and so forth. When a young woman from a strict Muslim family recently showed up at a church service on Turkey's Black Sea coast, the pastor could not have known she had seen him before in a dream. He might have guessed that she had seen him preach on weekly web posts of the church services, but he confessed to doubting that the webcasts were yielding much fruit. I sometimes wonder, the pastor said, how many people watch the videos and what is the result? Many are watching the videos, but why do they not believe? Well, a leader of an indigenous ministry reaching Turkey's 96% Muslim population, Pastor Mata, now that's not his real name for security reasons, was encouraged to learn that the online sermons had impressed the young woman. He could tell from her manner of dress, including headscarf, that she came from a Muslim family that would not approve of her attendance at worship. So she told him her story in tears. I did not know you, and I hated the Christians, and for this reason I was intended, intending to make fun of you when I started watching your videos on the internet. She said, but for the things I was hearing from you, you spoke to me the love I was always looking for, and the words of faith and courage were doing away with my fears. Though she had been afraid to come to his church, she wanted to become a Christian, so after some time she took the step of giving her heart to the Lord. She did not dare visit the worship until Jesus appeared to her in a dream. In my dream, Jesus led me to the church, telling me, what are you still waiting for? Follow my way. She told the pastor, all, and I saw all of you there waiting for me, smiling at me. Before I met you, I saw you in my dream. Thanks be to God. The director of Christian Aid Mission said, these kinds of situations often occur in our country, sometimes with wolves entering our church disguised as sheep and threatening the children of God, and at other times with family pressure. Well, so it was with the leaders of the early church, preaching and teaching despite, despite threats of persecution of various forms. The people that were part of the leadership team of the nation, of the temple, and so, so on, told them, no, you cannot do this anymore. And Peter and those with him said, we cannot help but speak the things that God has placed on our hearts. I want to read that passage again for you, and this time I want to read it from the Amplified Bible. Listen carefully, please, as I read. And the hands, at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders, attesting miracles, were continually taking place among the people. And by common consent, they all met together at the temple in the covered porch called Solomon's Portico. But none of the rest of the people, the non-believers, dared to associate with him. However, the people were holding them in high esteem and were speaking highly of them. More and more believers in the Lord, crowds of men and women, were constantly being added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and put them on costs and sleeping pads so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on one of them with healing power." And the people from the towns in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Well, I want us to ask the question and answer the question as, as best we can this morning. What are signs and wonders? What are signs and wonders? We find that in several different places already in, in, the, in the story, in the book of Acts. 
And we go like, what is this all about? Well, John Piper wrote this, and I quote, This was a generation that had more immediate and more compelling evidence of the truth of the resurrection than any generation since. They were there. They saw it happen. Hundreds of eyewitnesses to the risen Lord were in Jerusalem. This was the generation of witnesses whose word was least in need of supernatural authentication of all the generations following. This was the generation whose preaching, apart from signs and wonders, of the mighty soul-saving word of God was more anointed than the preaching of any generation following. The preaching of Peter and Stephen and Paul. Why did this generation, along with its immediate access to the resurrection witnesses and its extraordinary preaching, feel such a passion to see God stretch forth his hand to heal and do signs and wonders among them? Which prompt the asking of these questions perhaps in our mind. Did signs and wonders cease with the conclusion of Acts chapter 28? It seems that these signs and wonders prompted great results in evangelistic efforts. Multitudes were added to the Lord, it says in verse 14 of our text. We don't currently see these kinds of responses to gospel preaching, at least in our area. So the question would be, are we missing some vital elements in our ministries? Another question that would maybe rise in our minds, is the topic of signs and wonders scary these days? We'd rather just stay away from that stuff. Another question, the apostles in the book of Acts experienced great persecution for their boldness of preaching the gospel. Do we refrain from Preaching like this for fear of persecution? Well, let's dive in and see if we can maybe make a little bit of sense of this and seek some answers. You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 14 and 15, the record is there of the final days of the reign of King Saul. Saul was king over God's people Israel, and Saul clearly disobeyed God. In the latter part of chapter 15... The outline is there of Saul's useless attempts to backpedal. And he sought to stage a grand sacrifice of animals that he had taken in spoil. You see, it was direct disobedience to what God had said to do. God told them to annihilate the Amalekites. He told them to destroy everything, including livestock. Just wipe wipe everything clean. Well, now Saul saw this wonderful livestock, and he thought, well, I'm going to just take some of this. You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira that Pastor Scott shared with us last week? Well, here's a similar situation, because God said this, and man did this. God said to Ananias and Sapphira, do this, and they did this. God said to Saul, do this, and Saul did this, in direct disobedience to God. Well, in chapter 15 and verse 22, Samuel, God's servant, speaks words of God to Saul. And Samuel said, and I quote, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in the obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. You see, Saul said, well, what? I know I've messed up a bunch here, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to take all of these spoil, I'm going to take all of these animals that I took, and I'm going to have a grand sacrifice, and I'm going to appease God, and everything's going to be fine. 
Not so. Not so. God was angry at Saul and God took away the kingdom from Saul because of his direct disobedience. Well, what does that say to us? Someone wrote, excuses are tools of the incompetent. They build monuments of nothingness and bridges leading to nowhere. Those who specialize in excuses are seldom successful in anything. It's pretty powerful. Saul was removed from being king of Israel because of his disobedience to God. Well, this was not the case of the apostles in the early church. Jesus' final words to his disciples before his ascension were, and we have it recorded in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. I read from the ESV version. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And in Acts chapter 4, uh, we, Pastor Scott took us through that earlier, verses 19 and 20 record, whether it's right in God's eyes to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. Here's Peter and John talking to the Sanhedrin now, and he said, whether it's right in your eyes, well, well, you decide, but as for us, there is no question, we can't keep quiet about what we've seen and heard. I met someone this morning that was excited to tell me about this successful hunt that he had. You see, he just had to tell me. <laughs> it's okay. I don't hunt. It's okay. I can handle that. They couldn't keep quiet about the things that they had seen and heard. They could not keep quiet about what God was doing in their own lives and in the lives of others. They were simply acting on the command that Jesus had given them. They were acting in total obedience. What a difference. What a difference. It's interesting that this passage again references the signs and wonders that were done through the ministry of the apostles. Chapter 2 of Book of Acts, verse 22, speaks of signs and wonders. Then verses 42 and 43 say they were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles and to fellowship and eating meals together and to prayers. A sense of awe was felt by everyone and many signs and wonders attesting miracles were taking place throughout the lives of the apostles. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting, the lifestyle that they lived. I wish we could somehow just have that captured and we could go up on the screen and say, there it is, let's run a five-minute video of what went on. I'm sure that would be very interesting to us. We find this again in chapter 4, verses 16 and 22 and 30. Now, Acts chapter 5, the passage that we're in this morning, uses the words among the people, referring to being in the presence of the general public of the Jerusalem community. They met in Solomon's porch, which was an open area under a roof that was built on the east side of the temple. It was part 
of the temple and it was about 90 feet long and about 45 feet wide. It was a, it was a public gathering place and it wasn't hidden behind walls and doors. It was open to public view. And this was the location of Peter's sermon in chapter 3 uh, at verse 11 after the lame man was healed. They went to Solomon's porch and Peter began to explain to them the presence and the public nature, in a public nature, the presence and the fullness of Christ. And so we ask the question again, did Acts chapter 28 bring a close to signs and wonders? I would like to say unequivocally no. There is no doubt. Many people gave testimony to God's miracles in their lives and the lives of their loved ones. November 4th, 1976 was an exciting day for Betty and I because our youngest daughter was born. We were living in Williams Lake and I took her into the hospital early in the morning and the process was well on its way. The uh, nurse in charge said to me, are you going to get in on this show? Right there is the Forget the, the term she used, monkey suit or something like that. Get it on and get in here, or you're going to miss it. Well, <laughs> I'm not very skilled at putting on those things. But I did my best and uh, got in there. And, you know, that hospital was built kind of strange. Because when stuff really started happening, the room started to tilt. I've never been in a hospital like that since. (laughs) Well, so it was. I ripped the mask off and got some fresh air, and and I was okay. Well, our beautiful baby girl was born, and uh, what we didn't know right at the time was that she was deaf. And, of course, as young parents, well, we had two older children, but... We were still pretty young parents, and we were delighted to bring this, this little bundle of joy back to our home again. And, and she couldn't hear anything, though, so it didn't matter what noises went on around. Uh, she just was not affected. And Betty realized it, and I realized it, and we didn't discuss it with each other. We tried to get her to hear, and she wouldn't hear. I tried snapping my fingers beside her head make little noises, and she didn't respond. We didn't find out until actually sometime later that, yes, in fact, she was deaf. I could put in so many more details here, but I've only got so long to share this morning, and and I won't tell you all the details. Suffice it to say that we struggled as parents that here our beautiful baby was not hearing, And uh, when Betty took her to the doctor for a checkup, the doctor came into the room and slammed the door of the examining room. You know how babies, they usually throw their hands up? Well, Pam made no, no motion such like that. So we went on grieving this thing personally, and we didn't talk about it in our marriage. And that's different because we talked about everything. Our church that we were part of, I was actually associate pastor in the church there, and I was working at a job because there was no finances in the church to to hire a second person. And um, 
On Friday nights, we had what was called family night. I had to work that night. I was working in a hardware store, and I had to work that night. So Betty took the three little ones and, and went over to the church for family night. And it was usually a night of, uh, of a variety pack, maybe a devotional, but usually some games and some interesting things of that nature. And this particular night, Pastor Leonard Martin preached. Betty said, that was strange. You know, and she had a very, just a heaviness upon her because here's this, this young mom with a deaf baby and, and, and what is God doing here? Is God, don't, doesn't God like us or what's going on? Part of Pastor Martin's presentation that night, he said, is there anybody here that has a special need? You, they're just something that, that, that you would really like God to, to do. Well, Betty just was in tears and sitting toward the back with the little ones. And she just indicated just, just ever so little, maybe not even very publicly, that she was struggling that night. And then the pastor prayed, and that was, that was it. There really wasn't, wasn't anything very sensational. That night as we came home, Betty put Pam in her cradle, made a little noise of some kind, just, I don't know what, she clattered something, and those little hands flew up. God healed our baby that night. And a lady, when we... Betty gave testimony sometime later in our church, and a lady that I would have thought knew better, uh, a seasoned lady came up to Betty afterwards, and she said, ah, she said, all babies don't hear from birth. (laughs) Oh. Do signs and wonders continue on since Acts chapter 28? Yes. Yes. How God answers, I don't have an answer for that. I was just listening this week to someone who was preaching on the radio as I was driving. And they said, God's timetable does not match our timetable. It is critical that our timetable matches God's timetable, not the other way around. Because we want things to happen now. We want things to happen in our time, under our circumstances, to our whims. And God's timetable isn't necessarily going to happen in that way. Now, I believe it can. Don't get me wrong. I believe that we can come to God and ask him for things, and he does answer Let's go back to our text, please. Verse 12, here they are meeting in Solomon's porch, which was a very prominent part, a very prominent place, an area that held many people and was basically a a public meeting area. There was two groups of people that were meeting there, two contingents of people. Group one is the Sanhedrin. They were the temple officiants. They were the scribes, the Pharisees. They ran the affairs of the temple. They were the teachers of the law. They were the legal and religious watchdogs. They were the lawyers of the day. They made sure the people were submitting. 
to the many difficult tenets of the Pharisaical law, and arrogance and power was their character traits. They were the ones who called Jesus out. They were the ones of whoever believed in Jesus as radicals, and they were the ones that Jesus called hypocrites in Matthew chapter 23. He likened them to whitewashed tombs, appearing beautiful outward, but inside are full of uncleanness. Group number two was the apostles and those who followed the apostles. They were the ones who believed in Jesus. They were the ones who experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They were the ones who witnessed the healing of the lame man, and they were the ones who continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship of breaking and bread and prayers. They were the ones who sold their possessions and brought the proceeds to the apostles. And verse 13 speaks of these two groups. Group number one dared not join them. They were suspect of their simple faith. You know, I love the simple faith of a little person. I love the simple faith of somebody who will believe in Jesus regardless of what. I love the faith of someone who isn't suspicious of what is happening and isn't full of judgment. I love the faith of that kind of a person. These people didn't want to get too close because they were scared that something miraculous was going to happen and things might get out of hand. They were not worried about that. Group number two esteemed them highly. Group number two were the people who just wanted more and more and more of the Lord Jesus Christ. Multitudes of men and women, verse 14, it says, were added to the Lord. People came to Christ through the apostles' ministry in a very sincere and uncomplicated and childlike way. You know, over in Mark chapter 10, an interesting passage that compares the two groups that are identical to what we've just discovered in Acts chapter 5. Here these two groups were around Jesus, and the first group is asking Jesus about divorce in Mark chapter 10. They want to know, is it right to divorce? The Pharisees are asking. And then the passage moves on. You can read it if you like on your, on your spare time. The passage moves on to move into a house and more intimate discussion quietness of a home with Jesus and his disciples. And this is a passage where after Jesus scolds his disciples for attempting to disallow people to bring their children to him for blessing, Jesus takes up a little child in his arms and pronounces that unless we become as little children, we will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You might ask, so why, Pastor Art, would you bring in a passage like this? Friends, today I simply add this because all too often we dismiss the faith like that of a little child in favor of our much more intelligent and well-educated and rational and sometimes suspicious approach to the situation around us and where we find our relationship to Christ. We toss aside that simple faith of a little child. Well, I believe it's a domino effect, friends. I believe that as one touches another... So it goes. John Piper adds, There is no doubt that the working of miracles, signs and wonders, helped bring people to Christ. That is what Luke wants us to see, and 
This is surely why the Christians would pray in Acts 4.30 that God would stretch forth his hand to heal and do signs and wonders that would help bring people to Christ. And then over in Acts chapter 4, 29 through 31, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Pastor Scott has been speaking much lately about speaking the word of God boldly. The first and foremost command of Jesus is that people would respond to his gospel. That's what Jesus wants. That's what he's all about. John chapter 6, there were people seeking Jesus, and when they found him, Jesus replied, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. They were so sensual. They were just going there for the food. Do not labor for food which perishes, Jesus said, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because the Father has put, set his seal on him. Then he said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. You see, friends, today the gospel is so tremendously important. The gospel is what it's all about. Therefore he said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. (coughs) Excuse me. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to him, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives light to the world. Jesus says, do you get it? And some didn't. And I believe some today don't get it. They don't get the importance of of the gospel. Verse 14 of our text says that multitudes of people were increasingly added to to the Lord, both men and women. This is the true work of Christ. John 3.16 puts it, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the primary reason Jesus came. Jesus said in Luke 4.18, quoting Isaiah 61 and verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus' ministry was then and is now about our spiritual well-being. Anything else is bonus. Apostle John wrote in 3 John chapter 1 and verse 2, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. You know, it seems that we put much more energy and effort on our physical and emotional well-beings and put less focus on our spiritual well-beings. Is it wrong to pray for miracles and signs and wonders? Certainly not. But friends, let's diligently seek the fullness of Christ. Let's diligently seek to know him and love him and serve him. Well, what happened? Verses 15 and 16 says that they brought the sick 
out into the streets, laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow, imagine that, the shadow of Peter might fall on some of them, and also multitude gathered from the surrounding cities in Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Well, that brings us to the question, so what is faith? Well, it's going to have to be another day and another time because we just don't have time to answer that question this morning. But friends, today, where are you at? Where am I at? Where are we at as a church? Is this attendance here and Monday night men and Tuesday night women, Wednesday Iwana. Are they just a a list of activities in our lives? Are they just something that we come along to? Just, oh, this is a good thing to do. How hard do we dig down? How hard do we press in? How hard do we follow after the Lord Jesus Christ? How serious are we to know his word? How serious are we to know his will? How serious are we to seek his plan in our lives? Would you pray with me, please? Our Father, this morning, we know that all of your word is written for our benefit. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable to us for doctrine, for correction, for instruction, that we might be people who are thoroughly equipped in every work. So, Father, I pray this morning that you would open our hearts, open our hearts to a newness in you, open our hearts to a, to a freshness in you, open our hearts to, 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 to see Jesus Open our hearts to understand his heart. Lord, we we ask, we ask for for healing. We ask for your blessing. We ask for an outpouring of your spirit. Oh God, may we come as a little child. May we put aside our pride and put aside our, 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 our attitudes of this is how it's to be. May we come humbly before you, Father. May we be open to receive what you have for us. And Lord, I I just pray that you would let let us be filled with the presence and the fullness of Christ. Oh God, do your beautiful work in our hearts, we pray. Amen.